have ever watched the movie Remember the Titans? Uh, it's a movie based on a true story of a 1971 Alexandria, Virginia football team. It's got uh, some pretty famous celebrities, the most famous being Denzel Washington. And the movie is really about how uh, this football team, black and white players in a time of racial um, you know, uh, reconciliation. Well, Denzel Washington plays the coach, Coach Herman Boone. And he takes his race-divided high school team to a two-week football camp. He works the boys very hard, both emotionally and physically, trying desperately to build a sense of team. And by the last practice, the boys begin to come together. And during the practice, during their drills, he says these words. All the men are in uh, full pads, uh, practice uniforms. They line up row by row. They vigorously run in place, focused on their conditioning, and Coach Boone yells, what are you? And the team shouts back, mobile, agile, hostile. And Boone shouts, what is pain? And they say, French bread. The young men reply, what is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the coach replies, what is fatigue? They say, army clothes. With all his might, that, uh, Coach Boone yells, will you ever quit? And the Titans say, no, we want more, we want more, we want more. In this movie, Coach bon, uh, Boone is to the young football players what Paul was to Timothy. He was his mentor, his coach. Uh, and so he was, he was his encourager. And so when you look at chapter 1, you see that he mentions suffering. And then when you look at chapter 2... He says that as a soldier of Christ, you're going to suffer, uh, you're going to endure hardship. We don't like hardship. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm battling a cold, so I apologize. Uh, but Paul gives Timothy five qualities in chapter 2 of what someone uh, who is being conditioned, if you will, now we're looking at this from a, a good soldier standpoint, but you know, you could look at it from a football team, uh, you know, you could look at it from just about any way. You've got to have the ability to endure, to see success. He tells Timothy to endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So enduring hardship is one of the first things that we learn as believers. It's not going to be easy. We are not and many of us have learned this already. And if you don't know this, you need to. You are not on home field advantage as a Christian in this country anymore. Maybe you thought you were. Maybe at one time you were. We are not. We are no longer a Christian nation. And I don't mean that in a, a bad sense of I can't believe you would say that. We're not. The, the shift has changed. Okay? We are definitely a post-Christian Society. Do you know uh, that the greatest religion, the fastest growing religion is atheism? So we are to endure pain and hardship. A good soldier of Christ endures hardship. Life is hard, right? It's, that's, not, that's not a surprise to any of us. What Paul is telling Timothy is, is that when you walk with Christ, you're going to have some scars, okay? Uh, you're going to have some battle stories that you're going to be able to tell if you endure. 
When we use the word perseverance, you can also use the word endurance. Okay? Uh, It is wrong to think that serving God or being a believer, a true believer, is some kind of spiritual cakewalk. It is not. Okay? Uh, it, It is, you know, there's a reason why we used to say, uh, we're going to this youth retreat. The word retreat, not that we were going to give up, but that we needed to come together and, and catch our breath and be encouraged. That's what you're doing right now. Hopefully you see church as that spiritual retreat once a week where we come together as a body of believers and we aid each other in our pain. More than ever today, we need Christians. And I think, I think we're seeing this more and more. Christians who understand that this is serious work. Paul wanted Timothy to know that this was going to be serious work. He tells him in verse 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, share in suffering. Most of us don't like sharing anything. But maybe we'd like to share our suffering. Here, you you take my suffering. I don't want to deal with it. That's not what he's saying, though. He's saying that a dedicated Christian understands that they are always in a battle and that they always need to be battle ready. It takes spiritual endurance to run this race. Uh, Major Murphy quoted Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 13, and that's what he says in Uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, a final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. See, our power, it it ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. Sometimes we have power. Sometimes, most of the time, we don't. And Paul says, put on God's armor, not our armor, God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. See, Paul understood, and we need to understand, the devil has a strategy. You know, uh, in the Salvation Army, we and you've heard this term before, we have a battle plan, right? Every corps has a battle plan. I want you to know something, the devil has a battle plan. And it's been the same ever since the beginning. First thing he does is, he says, does God really say? He wants you to doubt God's word. That's exactly what he did in the garden, and he did that with Jesus in the wilderness. Now, he didn't say, did God really say? He just said, well, the scripture says, and then he quotes it, and he misinterprets it. So he has a battle plan. How foolish would we be to start this spiritual fight and think that we don't need a battle plan, that we don't need protection? Paul reminds us, uh, as he reminded the church at Ephesus, we're not here to fight each other. We're not here to fight Democrats or Republicans or Independents or Duke fans or Tar Heel fans. Why? Because our struggle is not against people made of flesh and blood. Because the other strategy of the devil is to get your to get you so worked up with the people that you forget that it's really him that is the enemy. It's not people. He is, people will be used, but it's not people. We're not here to fight against other people. 
So what are we fighting? He says we're fighting against the evil authorities of the unseen world. See, there's a spiritual war going on as we sit here. As you read these words, there's a battle. We're all in it. None of us are sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you think you are, but you're not. And so we have to learn how to endure hardship. Because the more hardship you endure, the stronger you become. You know, when you see people who can bench press, you know, 380 pounds, or you see someone who has just spent their entire life, you know, um, building muscle, they don't even look human, right? Like, I didn't realize your biceps could get that big. Because they've endured. They, 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 they started with a little bit of weight, and then they kept going. It got heavier and heavier and heavier. They persevered. So spiritually, we need to persevere. We don't, because here's another strategy. When the devil just tells you, you know what, just go ahead and quit. It's too much for you. Just, just quit. And so we are to endure hardship. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 also says that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled, <coughs> excuse me, gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. So you, you see he's using this army terminology, right? We know a civilian is, is someone outside of, 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 the, of the battle. Another version says no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer and all the corps officers smile when they hear that verse. He's not talking about me. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, while God may have used godly people to enlist you in his army, he is the one who calls you. And he is the one who sustains you. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is our commander-in-chief. Now the Bible tells us not to get in, involved in civilian Affairs. Now, this does not mean that we don't have a life to live. It does not mean he's not saying don't go to your job and don't take care of your family. What he's, what he's saying here, and I want to use um, this, this commentary that says, um, says, Paul uses an illustration. Uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Military service places restrictions on personal liberty. So does Christian ministry. Be why? Because it, with anything, once you bind yourself to one thing, you're excluding yourself from something else. And so that's what he's saying is not, you know, don't work and don't take it. Yes, we all have a life to live, right? We understand that. But what he's also saying is you have given up part of your life to the cause of Christ. Here's a great illustration uh, this man joins the Navy. This new recruit asks his officer for a pass so he can attend a wedding. The officer gave him the pass but informed the young man he would have to be back by 7 p.m. Sunday. You don't understand, sir, said the recruit. I'm in the wedding. No, you don't understand, the officer shot back. You're in the Navy. You see the difference. You have now decided that you would restrict yourself. You know, the word covenant, um, it's, it's, it can be a dangerous word. It's a very important word. God takes any covenant seriously. 
We make covenants as soldiers in the Salvation Army. We make covenants as officers. But the word covenant really means to bind yourself, to restrict yourself, to say, you know, if, you're, if you wear a wedding band, you've restricted yourself. Okay? You, you better. You've bound yourself to one person. And you've said, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to set a boundary that's going to take some of my liberty away for a bigger cause than, than, than myself. And also, a good soldier always magnifies Christ. If you go through the second chapter, he actually says in, in chapter, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and descended from David according to my gospel. It's almost like a war cry, if you will. Remember Jesus Christ. You, you ever heard uh, when people would say, remember the Alamo? Or you remember at, right after 9-11? People would say, don't ever forget where you were. These, these, these things that happen in our own life, good things, bad things, we remember. We, set, we actually mark time by certain events in life. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. Our purpose is to bring honor and glory to him. So Paul is telling Timothy, in all that you do, remember the Lord. What an encouragement Jesus Christ is to a suffering soldier. And this is what he's saying. He's saying Christ suffered. He was killed. He rose from the dead. He was descended from David. And then he even says, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal but the word of God is not bound. You see, the Romans thought that if they kept Paul in chains, then they kept the gospel in chains, but it was actually the opposite. There's nothing that can restrict God. You can restrict some of his people, but you can never restrict God. Jesus was treated as a criminal, an evildoer, and it shouldn't be a shock if we receive hardship in this world. In fact, we're reminded, in fact, there used to be a, a song that people would sing that said, this world is not my home. You ever notice we don't sing a lot about heaven anymore? We, people used to sing, a lot of your old hymnals, almost all the songs were about heaven. You know why? Because life was hard for them. Very hard. And so they kept in their minds, they kept thinking, one day, all this trouble will be over. You see, we don't talk about heaven that much anymore because we've made our life here heaven. We've got all the comforts. We don't, we don't think of eternity like our ancestors used to think of it. There's still hardship in this world. What most people do now, though, is they run from it. You see, God's word cannot be bound. Psalm 147, 15 says, He sends His orders to the world. How swiftly His word flies. Acts 12, 24 says that the early church magnified Christ. It says, that, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. When you magnify the Lord, His word always spreads. Another quality of a good soldier is that he or she thinks of the entire army. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10 says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too 
may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's talking about God's people, those who have been chosen by His grace, called by His Spirit. All right, He's talking about us, people who have repented of their sins. Paul not only suffered for the Lord's sake, but he suffered for the sake of the church. And again, suffering is, is, uh, for the church is a concept that is all throughout church history. In fact, it's amazing to think that when the church is persecuted, that's when it grows the most. We, we say, and, and you know, I've heard people say, you know, the church is dying, the church is dying. The church isn't dying. It's just what we see is apathy. But in other parts of the world, the church is exploding. And they're being persecuted. The question is, who are we looking at? Are we looking out for one another? Jesus had the parable that we call it the Good Samaritan. And, and if you understand the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, the idea that, that a Samaritan would be the one to bind up somebody's wounds and pay for their lodging was, was just, it was crazy to any Jew that would hear that. Today, we need to be people who can look out for one another. We need to be people who care about one another. A soldier cares about the person next to him because he's thinking, if he doesn't take care of me, I'm dead. If I don't take care of him, he's dead. Am I looking out for others or do I just expect others to look out for me? You see, a soldier who thinks only of himself ultimately is disloyal and not fit for service. So a good soldier endures hardships, avoids worldly entanglements or civilian affairs. We magnify Christ. We think of the whole army, each other. And then we always trust the commanding officer. We trust God. We trust the Lord. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, here is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Faith in Christ is what gives us the victory. 1 John 5, 3 and 4 says, This is love for God to obey his command, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So as a soldier in God's army, we do not fear our enemies. Why? Because they've already been defeated. Christ has defeated them. He has already conquered them. Our greatest enemy is sin and hell in the grave. And what did Jesus say? He's already conquered all three. As we move into a Lenten season and we think of sacrifice and we think of, of um, what, we, what we used to call self-denial, right? We do this, and, and it, it's, it, the zenith of this is resurrection. We celebrate that our suffering was worth something, that Jesus' suffering was worth more than we could imagine. We don't have to fear our enemies. King Jehoshaphat was told by Jehazel in 2 Corinthians 20, verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So if God is our commanding officer, there's nothing to fear. We may have enemies on all sides, which we do. They may be ready to attack, which they are. But we should never fear or be discouraged because God has already told us in his word that he's already won. So if our identification is with Christ and death and burial and resurrection, we have nothing to fear. We already have the victory. No matter what our enemy throws at us, we can remain strong knowing that if we put all of our trust in, in the Lord, if we obey him, then everything is already settled. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, victory has already happened. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, it was already done. He just asks us now to do his work until he comes again. And friends, he's coming again. When you look at the stage of this world and how things are moving, even this move of God, God is still very much alive in this world. He is still doing his work. And all he says is just you do what I've called you to do and be ready when I come. That's what a good soldier does. And so we need to be good soldiers. We're going to sing together uh, on, in a, on a chorus that uh, simply is it's really all about obedience 693, it says, where he leads me, I will follow. That's all it says. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. You see, a soldier always follows his commanding officer. Paul was telling Timothy, go with God. Wherever God leads, that's where you need to be. The safest place for you is in the center of God's will. And it may look scary, it may be unknown, but it's where you need to be. And so we're going to sing that chorus this morning, 693, where he leads me, I will follow. And I invite you to come and pray. Maybe you're tired on this, on this journey of being a soldier. Everybody gets tired. God knew that. That's why he put in his word, uh, you know, don't grow weary in doing good. Nobody seems to grow weary in doing bad. They grow weary in doing good. Why? Because we're, we're going against the, the grain here on this earth. So where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him.